With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Fueling your mission. Pop into your local for some good value fuel. Gull.nz. From lunch through to tea, this is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Welcome back into the afternoons with Stephanie. We're live from Karaka. The sales were up to lot number 282. Um, still in book one. I'll keep you up to date with what sort of lot numbers we're up to. But as promised, uh, we, we tried to get them on before one. Um, as per his wishes, but I can only imagine the amount of work that our Minister of Emergency Management, also in the Minister of Racing, Kieran McAnulty, is under the pump at the moment, but he's found time to chat to me today. Kieran, welcome and thanks so much. Yeah, no worries, Steph. Uh, nice to talk to you, mate. Jeez, uh, how's your 72 hours been? Uh, pretty full on, to be fair. Um, but uh, look, it's I've just come out of the Mangere, um Support Centre there and I'm just absolutely overwhelmed by the way the uh, community has stepped up to help out where they need to. You know, there's, um, there's people helping them with housing, there's people helping, helping those with pets and don't know where to go. Um, basic needs like clothes and food and all that sort of stuff. It's just awesome to see. As the Minister of Emergency Management, how do you prioritise areas of importance when there's things like, I don't know, water quality, there's roads and rail, properties, public transport, communications? How do you juggle that? Well, the, the response here in Auckland uh, still remains a locally-led response. That's the way civil defence works in New Zealand. But once the Mayor made the declaration, we were able to release support from the, the national resources, if you like. So we've wrapped around the local team and we're supporting them. Uh, we're supporting them with um, communications, for example, and then helping uh, navigate through the various things that you've touched on there. And stuff like, you know, how are we going to pick up all the, all the stuff that people have got in their backyards now because of the flood? Just helping them work through that. But they are still the lead agency. But then things like transport... We bring the Minister of Transport in. I was on a call earlier with the Minister of Housing around what the plans are to get a roof over people's head for the time being, uh, and Ministry of Social Development just to get those that need it, get them some money and some food, etc. So uh, it really is a, a, a cross-government um, approach to giving people what they need at the moment. But it's not yeah, just they... Auckland. You know, like we're watching Waitomo and Coromandel and Bay mm. of Plenty and even down as far south as Wairarapa, there's um, thunderstorm watches on as well. Uh, they got hit by the tail end of Cyclone Hail and, and had to get help. So there's a lot of places in the country that are wet and it won't take much rain to cause some dramas. So we're watching it really closely. From a, from an outsider looking in, um, I sort of see our strength and our weakness as the same thing. Like there's so many different agencies, so many fingers of responsibility, but, but it's the, the collectiveness that people have struggled with over the last few days. And having lived in Auckland, I didn't have a central point to go and get 
my information from and, and all those areas I talked about was the roading, was the weather bureau, was, was something like that. Is, is maybe one central point of information the way to go? Yeah, so that's the sort of thing that we can help the local uh, civil defence and council with. So we've uh, we've sent um, a national controller up from NEMA. We've sent a uh, senior comms person up to try and help um, get the information out as clear and as simple as possible, and just give them that extra expertise that they that they might be feeling a bit stretched at the moment. Because you know this was a massive event. It's a big. It's our largest city. There's a lot of people that need help. They're feeling a bit stretched, so we're here to give them support. And so that your central point of contact is uh, what we're working with them on at the moment. And the one good thing to come out of COVID is that we've learned a lot around how to deal with so many agencies on the same sort of thing. And uh, like I said, we're down in Mangere where they've got that drop-in centre, it's working pretty smoothly. So I was really relieved to see that. Top of the show, we had Dave Latelli on, who I'm sure you're, you're very, very aware of. He's incredibly frustrated. He met with the mayor yesterday and apparently uh, gave him a little bit of a sermon about uh, the strength in these sorts of areas is community and, yep. um, and, and, and sort of felt like the council didn't distance themselves but didn't embrace the community till the community was well underway. What, what, what are your remarks to that? Well, uh, as you can imagine, I'm getting asked a lot around uh, my views on, on certain things as to you know, how this started and what could have gone better. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm staying out of that at the moment, Steph, because we will do a review. We, as mm. Chris Hipkins and I did a press conference, I think it was at 1.30 in the morning, uh, when it was really after the mayor declared, just to show that the government was um, kicking into gear, or had kicked into gear, I should say. Um, we said then and there that, look, we're going to have to review this. There's definitely lessons to be learned. But right now, we're just focused on the response, and then those sorts of things will come out of the review, and it would be my expectations that they take those lessons on board and make the necessary changes. Cool. So talking about a central point of information, like I found myself, I was going on Twitter and going to local MPs, but they, rightfully, I guess, are focused on, on their electorate and were offering support. I had my own local Facebook community group. I was looking at weather. I was looking at stuff. I was looking at the Herald. I was going onto the transport website. I was all over the shop. What would you suggest for people that may feel like they're in a, in a threatening position because we're going to get a ton more rain in the 36 hours, I would imagine? What would your advice be to Joe Citizen who wants to get a central point of information? We're not going to hide away from the fact that the um, initial uh, communications through social media channels and on the website, um, up to the point of declaration and slightly after that, wasn't up to scratch. I think everyone accepts that. Um, but they shouldn't use that experience to um, lose faith in those channels. Uh, we've, stepped, we've stepped in behind the council and are supporting them in that. And uh, as a result, the uh, communications have been a lot more regular uh, they've been the Met Service, for example, has been really proactive around warnings for weather. Uh, Waka Kotahi is being proactive around what roads are open and what are closed. And then the Auckland Civil Defence uh, are now holding three press conferences a day. They're live streaming it. Uh, we've now got the national director supporting them in that and standing alongside them to to provide information that if there's anything lacking, it's really kicked up. So. Please don't let the initial experience put people off using those formal channels. They should be getting the information they need from them now. 
Brilliant, Kieran. So what's your, because you're, you've got your ear to the ground, you're in um, first name basis with all of the, particularly what's coming up? What, what does the next 24, 48 hours look like from your weather experts, from your roading experts, if you can bullet point it for our listeners? Uh, there's a rain forecast uh, throughout the day, but there's a, a decent dump forecast for tomorrow. In isolation, it wouldn't even make the news. But because of what we've had, it could cause some issues. So we really do encourage people to be prepared, particularly if they live in an area that might be prone to, to flooding. But more, more likely, anything that could be the potential for a landslip, we'd like people to be prepared on the off chance that they may need to evacuate. We'd rather they prepare and not have to evacuate than not be prepared when they're asked to do so. And the other thing that we would encourage them to do is listen to authorities. If they ask you to evacuate, please comply. It just makes things go a lot smoother. We can get people out, keep them safe. If we have resistance, it just slows the whole thing up. Um, but also, if you don't need to travel, please don't. If you do, um, then get on to Waka Kotahi and see the safe routes. All the information is there. Uh, and, and then once we get that, um, the council to get a, uh, a central point of contact, you'll be able to go to that one place and get all the information you need. All right, mate. And finally, Kieran, I'd imagine without these floods over the last few hours in your diary, I'd imagine you would have been here at the Karaka Sales, a hugely uh, part of your other portfolio as Minister of Racing. Yes, well, I, I um, had actually managed to... Uh, I must have got it quick because I'm just the Prime Minister to agree to go to the Wellington Cup and I was excited about that I wanted to say, look you know, one of the first things he's done is come to a race meeting but of course uh, things changed and the next day I was due to be there at the opening of the Cracker Sales we know how important that is for the industry I wanted to use it as an opportunity to highlight to those that might not know um, how important racing is to the economy uh, and how things like the sales are a, a, a linchpin to that success um, but unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to do it. And whilst I'm in Auckland today, I just don't have a chance to go. But, you know, um, I put my sincere apologies in, and I really do hope it's going well. Now that the airport's reopened, I hope that the overseas buyers have been able to make it. Mate, I'm looking around. There's plenty of overseas people. All came in on buses and minibuses as I was arriving this morning. So they're all pumped up and ready awesome. to go. So um, I'm great news. I'm that, mate. That's great. Hey, Listen, hey, I, I, I want to. I just want to give you a, a note of appreciation of uh, at the start of our chat. You put your hand up and said things didn't quite go right. Um, but I think equally important, as you said, don't lose faith in the early experiences. Things are now a bit better than what they were, and um, we're learning, and there'll be a review. So uh, stay in touch with all the official parties. I'd, I'd say as our parting shot, yeah. I just lost you there for a sec, there, Steph. Um, but what you were saying sounded pretty good to me. <laughs> we'll take it as gospel Kieran McAnulty, Minister of Emergency Management Minister of Racing, I know you're busy thanks heaps for your time Good on you mate, take care There he is, Kieran McAnulty as I say, Minister of those two portfolios, you can only imagine the torturous times that they have had having to deal with the Auckland Council um, and acknowledge that, that the communications weren't good but Okay, so Waka Kotahi, the weather maps, uh, all of the websites, everything seems to be much better than it was on Friday and Saturday, but by God, it wouldn't take much to make it a little bit easier. A um, couple of quick text messages, staff, compliments season to you. I was going to suggest I match you $180 for lot 266, but we might be better off in book three, correct? Um, Abraha to all affected in Auckland. We can only imagine the devastation that you are all facing. 
Uh, and another one, um, hey staff, terrible what's happening in Auckland. Thinking of you all up north at the moment from Melbourne. On another note, if you get a chance whilst that Karaka, can you get Bjorn Baker on the show? Great story, his training move from New Zealand to Sydney. He's always good for a laugh too. He sure is good for a laugh. I haven't spied him, but um, I will try and get him um, if I can, if I spot him. But we'll take a quick break now. And on the other side, we've got uh, someone from the rock star stud, the Waikato stud joining us after the break. Kiwi for sport. Gull, fueling your mission. Pop into your local for some good value fuel. Gull.nz. Getting you through your workday one hour at a time. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Uh, we are back on deck live from the Karaka Sales, still in book one. We're up to lot 289, which is probably in Captain K's price range at the moment, $40,000. Do you want me to put a bid in for you, Captain Kay? I can put my hand up. Can put yes, my please. Hand up. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> um, joined us now. This is good, actually. This is someone who is incredibly busy, and it's a massive, well, I was going to say day, massive week. Jack Newman out of Waikato Studies, the current relations manager. So his customers are mares and stallions and the owners thereof. Jack, how big a period of the year is this for your crew at Waikato Stud? Oh, this is a massive time of year for us. It's, uh, yeah, I can't really put it into words. Uh, it's been a, how do you explain it, sort of three-year journey as such, getting them here, getting the clients uh, and our mares especially uh, all matched up and bred, folding them down on farm and then moving forward to having them in yearling prep and going through all that period. So there's a lot of people involved and this is sort of the, this is the big time where we really showcase what we've got and what we've, all the effort we've put into it. Yeah, I've often said, like people have said, um, when you look at like a tennis player and they've trained and, and then they, they get like three hours to prove their worth, your yearlings get two minutes in yep. the ring. Yep. Now if I owned a mare and I contacted you and I said I want to put my mare to your stallion, that phone call starts, how long from that time until it hits the sale? We've got the mare to, to breed as such, so she goes, yep, she's she's cycling, say, September, October sort of time. You want your mare and foal around then. Then you've got your 11, day, 11 months, 12 days gestation. She then foals down. You've then got the whole period building up to there as she's weaned, the foals weaned off her, and then you start your yelling prep. We start our yelling prep around Melbourne Cup time, mm-hmm. so we've been working from then all the way through to now, and now is the result. So, I've got so many questions for you. <laughs> what happens with a foal from when they're born? Take us through sort of the next six to 12 months. So, foals born, there's uh, on at Waikato Stud, there's someone always watching the mares 24-7 when they're in the foaling unit. Uh, usually two people throughout the night and then one person during the day. We all have radios on and we've always got three people, minimum three people per foaling. So, they're always watched. Mare breaks water, we take her in, we help her foal, uh, do everything we can. Uh, ideally, it's a it's a good foaling, everything's good. Foal's standing within half an hour and suckling and going along. Uh, then she sort of moves towards, we call it the back of the farm as such, where they slowly make their way down as they become older. They join other mares and foals of the like age. Uh, the mares are then scanned again, and if they're ovulating or... Yeah, ready to ready to breed as such. We send them back to the stallion. Mare then hopefully gets in foal. We can tell within 15 days of being bred to the stallion. 
Uh, then the foal, mare and foal, will head to a part of the farm we call Centane, which is where we do our handling and branding and microchipping, getting them all handled in just basic manners so that they're easy to deal with and we can, yeah, look after them as best we can. Getting them used to getting human interaction. Exactly, exactly. Getting them used to just being around people and being led, being touched, having their feet picked up, getting the farrier to them, uh, just basic, basic things that they need to understand as such and then they're, they're weaned sort of on a few months time maybe a month's time or so especially the first foals around the ones that were born around August uh, then we continue handling them they're rug broken as such so ta- teach them how to have a rug on for a horse being a, a prey animal something jumping on their back is quite scary to them it's, yeah. it's completely weird so teaching them that is a big a big thing and then going on from there they're in mobs of Oh, between three and six, we like to mob them on the farm. Uh, handled every six weeks, and then that builds up. We then go through them. We've sort of already sort of got a list of what we think which sales these yearlings will go to, uh, weanlings at that stage, sorry, which sales they'll go to, uh, whether we'll keep them, any issues that's sort of coming up that we can see with them. And, yeah, then it comes into yearling prep starts and we're into it and just basic every day they're in the boxes in the morning, they're exercised they're groomed, they're pampered they're looked after, they're treated like kings and queens and then we <laughs> get them to Karaka and hopefully we've got the best product we, we can create and get them here and all the buyers want to buy them You're breeding spoiled brats <laughs> <laughs> You've got seven stallions at Waikato Stard How many mares have you got? Uh, so we personally have a band of around 180 to 200 at any one time, and then we've also got all the other client mares, so it fluctuates very heavily throughout the season, uh, but there's at least yeah 180 on the farm at any one time. So you deal as client relations, uh, do you deal mainly with the owners of the mares that aren't on your property? Uh, we have uh, quite a few mares that do live on property full-time, uh, specific clients, but then yes, most mares are sort of on their own farms or with other people that have got smaller farms that go, oh, we want to send the send a mare, so the mare will come up August time, sort of, and checking whether she's ready to be bred, scanning her, uh, the vet's always always checking them, we've got teaser ponies out there that are always checking whether the mares are in season and getting them going. Uh, yeah, and that's probably the politest way to put it. <laughs> yeah. um, and looking at these lots, like, um, say you've, I actually want to open, here's one, uh, lot 205, so that's already gone, which was which was yours. And it says it's a Bay Philly, it's a Tavachi, um Galaxy Miss, and then we go then go through to the, so that's the parents, then you go grandparents, then you go great-grandparents, then you go great-great-grandparents. These mare owners that come to you and say, this is my mare, this is its breeding, what have you got that might match? And do you just have a little round table and say, well, look, um, I think possibly this one's the best one for you, and, and they have a look, and is it, is it like a, a parry and thrust and try and figuring out what the best match is? Yeah, and they generally come to us and they already have an idea of kind of their price range, the stallions that they like, the stallions they think that'll suit, or sometimes they might come and say, I really like your stallions, uh, you guys have great success this is my mare, what do you think would suit my mare best? And we go off the type of mare, the distances she ran over, uh, her pedigree and her size and match it best as we can with all the stallions. And we generally, with seven stallions, and they're all bred quite differently, we can tell which is going to suit. And there's a lot of data out there to, to help us, and we think we're scientists, but we try, we try our best. 
Who's uh, who's your most established stallion, and who's your new exciting up and comer? Uh, well, Savabeel is definitely uh, our flag bearer. Has been for a number of years. He's a award sweeping sire, as mm. most people would have heard of him. Uh, and then we've sort of got a couple of young boys on the block. Uh, Super Seth's got his first yearlings. There's actually one in the ring right now, uh, selling. And so this is his first year of selling. They've been hugely received throughout New Zealand and Australia. He was a Group 1 winner in Australia. Uh, COVID unfortunately put an end to his racing career. Um, but Super Seth is very exciting to Varch. He's starting to make very big waves. And then we've got uh, the new boy on the blocks, Novia, Savabil's son. He won the 2000 Guineas down there, uh, down at Rickerton, and he is a spitting image on his father, and we wow. are so excited to see what falls he, he leaves. You're talking about um, someone like Super Seth, first year sire. No one knows how good they're going to be as a sire. So it's, it's a punt worth taking on first year sires because he might, he might um, you know, the yearlings that are in here, in a couple of years, they might just go bang. Exactly. And you never know. And that's the game that everyone likes to play. They like that fact that there's a, there's a new sire and they try and match it and try to find what's going to work best with it. And hopefully if we've all done our part with our breeding and our type checking of the mares, then, then we are correct in what we do. So, If you're a buyer, now take your Waikato stud cap off. <laughs> do you look at Colts or Phillies as a buyer? I look at Phillies. Why? There's, uh, I personally uh, breed a few mares as well. So I like the fact that they can race, and then I can retain the mares if they've done well on the racetrack or if they've got good pages, and then I can breed from them, so there's more of a market for me. Uh, but I'm not a huge big buyer. A lot of the bigger clients uh, that buy buy these colts because they want to turn them into stallions, and they think, they've, think they're good enough to be stallions. And then you've also got your markets of your trade colts and all that sort of, sort of carry-on, and your ready-to-runners as well. So there's a lot of different markets. That's just what I specifically sit in. And sort of price per foal, if you've got a, an amazing stallion, uh, you've got a money machine. But there's not many. There's it, nowhere near as many uh, stallions. Because you, you've got seven stallions, and I think you said they covered a 1,000 mares. Did, uh, we did a 1,000 live covers, so obviously a few mares had to come back a couple of times. But, yeah, just over a 1,000 live covers. Wow. You love your job? Love it. Love it. It's, uh, it's very interesting, very rewarding, very rewarding, uh, and especially seeing these yearlings that we've We've done we've done our homework on them and seeing how well they've been received. It's it's very cool. What's it like as a job? Like your crew that you work with out at Waikato State? Because you don't turn up and turn your laptop on and figure out what you're going to have for lunch and you know all that. So it's a very different profession. Yeah, it is a it's a very uh, how do you explain it? It's sort of a it is a strange job to a lot of people. I talked to quite a few friends that I went to high school with and stuff, and they go, "What do you do?" And you tell them, <laughs> and they're kind of like, um. Are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> so racing always been in your blood? Uh, I was originally eventing and show jumping. Uh, grew up doing that and then slowly turned to the racing stable. And, yeah, so been racing for quite a few years now and breeding in, in the bloodstock. Oh, well, Jack Newman from Waikato Stud has been good enough to share a few minutes with us. Keep an eye on the horse. Beautifully, beautifully presented. Um, so if someone... If someone wanted to get in touch with you guys, like if new people to the industry, do you, do you get many of those calls? Oh, we love them. Mm. Love getting new people into the industry. It's it's awesome. Getting It's such a cool industry to be involved in. There's so many highs in it. It's so exciting. Going to the races and having, even if you're in a small share of a racehorse or, or a small share in a broodmare, it's just so exciting seeing horses go through the ring and seeing your horse 
racing, it's just such an experience. I get goosebumps thinking about it. Like, I love it. I I'm, just, I'm just looking at your arms. You've got goosebumps now, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jack, um, enjoy the next few days. It's a, it's a tremendous pinnacle for all the work that, um, you know, studs like yourself, and we're so blessed with high-quality studs, high-quality breeding standards. And just looking around here at all the international visitors, we're big news on the world stage, eh? Yeah, it's it's awesome to have the international buyers back like coming into yesterday first day of book one coming into the auditorium and it was full and it's such a good feeling after having a couple of years where it's just been a ghost town as such in the actual auditorium but it's just so good to see all the international buyers back here at Karaka. Awesome Jack Newman from Waikato Stud go well we'll take a break new sport and weather and we will return after that. go down to Petoni and talk to our friend from the TAB remember the TAB app or the TAB website.co.nz all the live and play options and it updates and it's got all the specials and woo bangs, it's got the whole shebang uh, Paulie Mawadi, I have absolutely no idea what's been happening in the NFL playoffs please furnish me with that information uh, well, the uh, conference uh, final between the Philadelphia Eagles uh, and the San Francisco 49ers sort of j- just turned out to be a non-event in the end with uh, Brock Purdy getting injured early on in that match and uh, Josh Johnson, the fourth string uh, quarterback uh, for the 49ers coming in and then he got injured as well. Um, and Jeez, so you must in the have been end, close Phil- to getting a game yourself. indeed if I was walking past with me boots I think I would have been a chance Um, so Philadelphia are the first uh, team through to next weekend's uh, Super Bowl they're currently $1.91 with us to win the Super Bowl the Kansas City Chiefs who currently lead the Cincinnati Bengals 6-3 into the second quarter of their AFC conference final matchup they're 225 to win the Super Bowl, and the Cincinnati Bengals are $5. Uh, in terms of the uh, match right now, you can get $1.33 on the Chiefs, $3 on the Bengals, and the Chiefs are six and a half points favourites. So at the moment, um, no touchdown action. Um, and unfortunately for Bengals fans, the Cincinnati offensive line have forgotten how to block. And I think quarterback uh, Joe Burrow has been sacked four times already. Uh, And we're not not even at half time. So he's making a few adjustments to his game. He's obviously getting rid of the ball a wee bit quicker than he has been. Um, But if they're to go any further, if if they're to reach their second Super Bowl in two years, then the Bengals are going to have to sort that offensive line out just as we see... Patrick Mahomes with a deep throw downfield to pick up another uh, first and ten. They, it was a very talked about high ankle sprain on uh, him last week. Have you any evidence that it's affecting him? Uh, 
he doesn't look... Well, he hasn't really had to be as mobile uh, as we've seen before. Um, so I just think they, the, the Chiefs have sort of changed their offensive plan uh, and are keeping him pretty much in the pocket. Uh, and their uh, rushing game looks fairly solid. So he hasn't been tested too much so far. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens if the Cincinnati defense can put him under a wee bit more pressure. But yeah, currently 6-3 to Kansas City with about just under six minutes to go in the second quarter. $1.22 the Chiefs, three seventy-five the Bengals. Beautiful. Any other big features you want to mention? Oh, I just thought I'd mention the um, Australian Open, which is just uh, completed um, on the weekend. And the match that got the most attention out of the two um, singles finals was the women's final, where Alina Rybakina took on uh, Arena Sabalenka. And uh, Sabalenka, uh, if you remember, lost the first set there, and she got out to around $11 during that match. Um, and a number of punters uh, jumped on when she was around the $11, $10 mark. Uh, but we had some big bets in that women's uh, final. $12,000 on Reba Keener at $1.53. And then we had a $6,000 bet on Sabalenka at $1.62 and a $3,000 bet on Sabalenka at $1.75. So lots of interest in that women's final between Rebekina and, of course, the eventual champion, Sabalenka. Sabalenka. All right, I don't know if you're near um, a live stream or a website or the TV with the uh, Karaka sales, but we just had um, a young man from Waikato start and he said, watch out for lot 299, it's going to go bang. We're on lot 296 at the moment, so only three lots away. 299, Moati, we'll go halves. I'm going to keep... (laughs) I've got my spare change jar in the corner. I'll leave it there. Good boy. All right, mate. Thanks, buddy. Very good, Steph. See you, mate. TAB.co.nz, as I say, or the TAB app. Paul Mawadi kindly gives us time uh, most days. Um, I just got a text in here from Phil saying, Staff, being a first-time small share owner in Etiako, Philly, has been a great experience for my partner and I. Even though we haven't been to the races yet, the updates, videos, the emails have been amazing. Even though we only own a white line, the, uh, the feeling of being included has been fantastic and can't wait till race day. Fully recommend being involved in syndication. That's Phil. I'll tell you what, Phil, at about um, 2.20, Mr. Tiaka is going to be sitting right next to me. So that's about 50 minutes away, uh, 40 minutes away. David Ellis, um, providing he's not up to his eyes and bidding on a horse, he said he will come back at about 2.20. So look forward to that. We will take a break. And after the break, we're going to be joined by Gareth Hall. He is the SEN track racing guru from SEN across in Australia. He's here at Karaka. He's been hosting his show from Karaka to the Australian listeners. We'll catch up with this font of racing knowledge from Australia, our very own SEN's Gareth Hall. He's after the break. Oh, yes, you are. You're on Afternoons with Stavi. Big thanks to Gull. They fuel your mission all year round. Go to gull.nz, register, and they'll send you a text or an email and say, we're on special today. It's already cheap. Oh, lot 299's up. This is the one that the Waikato stud guy told me this is going to go good. Well, I can tell you the Pur Canto Laura Clark filly is already up to 280,000. Yes. Already up to 280,000. We're joined now by Gareth Hall. He's the SEN track man. He is the racing guru. He's so important. They've even sent him over to Karaka to, to, to cover the sale. Gareth, good to have you Steph, here. how are you going, mate? Great to be here. Love coming to New Zealand. And um, this is my first time to the sales. I've been to the race day. 
and it's a lot of fun, the Cracker Race Day. Um, but blown away with the hospitality and the, the history here and the vibe and um, they paid tribute to the great Sir Patrick Hogan there yesterday when they named the auditorium after him. So, no, it's just great to be here. What's alarmed me, really, is the number of international buyers that are here, the number of Aussies yeah. that come to this sale. Where does this sale sit in the picking order, um, you as a racing guy in Australia? How important is this sale? Well, I love my sport. So when you think about New Zealand, you think what an amazing job that they do across a host of different sports, how with the population of this country and the success that you've had on the world stage. Um, and you bat well above... Um, you, you, you do extremely well with the, the population, how much success that you've had on the world stage. So when it comes to racing, and last year proved just that, that New Zealand, when you buy a New Zealand bred horse or you purchase a, a New Zealand bred horse from the trials or a race horse that you've, you've found at um, one of the race meetings and then purchase it as a tried horse, that the success of these gallopers um, have proven over decades that it's a successful formula and last year you had the horse that we had Michael Kent Jr. just on my show and Giddy Up on SEN track, he, he had on Thunderstruck that finished second in a Cox Plate you had Mwanga who was competitive in the big weight for age races his half brother was sold for what 380000 yesterday I wish I win for Waikato Stud that won the Golden Eagle worth $10 million. you had Rockin' Horse the mayor for Mike Moroni now that won the big um, new market down the straight there this time last year basically um, down at Flemington so and you had the favourites in the derby in, in Victoria so the success that you've had um, speaks volumes of the breed of the New Zealand horse but you get value for money so you can buy a group one horse at an affordable price here in New Zealand and that's why I think everybody from Australia loves coming here Hong Kong as well, Singapore's yeah. here, the, the gang's all here, Gareth. Well, it's because it's basically the breeding industry, I would imagine, is the life, the, 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 the main form of making a living in the, in the racing game here. It's the, the heart and soul of the industry because you can breed a, a great horse here and you can race a horse um, and the prize money, let's be honest, isn't great in New Zealand at the moment. But the prize money in Australia and Hong Kong and parts of Asia, it's it, it's it's thriving at the moment. So you can get a you can um, have a, a New Zealand horse and wins a maiden or trots up in a in a trial, and all of a sudden you're getting five six hundred thousand dollars for a, a thoroughbred, which can be life changing for most people. So um, these type of sales and the the, the selling game is where New Zealand people make their money in the racing game these days. I've been sitting next to you on the table yep. as you've been doing your show. You've had a lot of um, Australian-connected um, breeders, trainers, yep. owners, that sort of thing. What are they saying to you about this sale in New Zealand? Well, we had Michael Kent Jr. who's had tremendous success at these sales. Like, they've got on Thunderstruck. Um, they've got a lot of nice Tarsino horses that will play a major part in the classics coming up in Sydney and Adelaide this autumn carnival. Inundation's another star of a, a galloper in their stable that's lightly raced that was a New Zealand bred galloper. So their clients understand that they can get good value for money here. So they've bought a couple already. They'll purchase a few more, I would imagine, before the end of the sales. You've got Chris Waller that's had great success, of course, um, with New Zealand bred horses. Kiramar and David Eustace have bought a few. Um, Johnny O'Neill, who's a big owner in the game in Australia, um, he purchased a lot. I think it was 140. We were meant to follow them into the ring and 
do like a live radio TV type of concept <laughs> and bid and no one's listening. And uh, so hopefully we, we could have like um, done something remarkable and purchased a champion and said we were here live on radio when we purchased it. But <laughs> I got mucked up with the lots. But yeah, lot 140 we should keep an eye out on. So um, yeah, it's, they, 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 they have success. That's why they come back. Now, you're a wonderful host on SEN Track on SEN. Are you a lifetime racing fan as well? Yeah, I loved it growing up in country Victoria. I was a journalist when I first started getting into this caper and I worked at a, a regional TV network and um, worked for Channel 9 and, as a journalist, a sports journalist in Melbourne before going to London and then got back into the racing game and worked at Sky and then did some racing shows around the country um, and now at SEM, which I love. They've got a great vision for what I believe in and how you can make good content when it comes to um, covering the sport of thoroughbred racing, harness racing, greyhound racing. So I love telling the stories a bit like, listen to your show, Staffy. Uh, there's so many wonderful stories. It doesn't matter what sport it, mm. you, you talk about. You can find terrific human interest stories that people listening on the way to work or on podcasts these days can get inspired. And that's what we try and do on Giddy Up and we and try and back a few winners as well. But, um, yeah, that's our that's our goal when, when we... we try and make what we want Giddy up to be. Good man, Gareth. Well, I'll let you go and Good have you, a Staffy. Ha- I'll, have should a I go lunch. and ask David? I know you've got David Ellis on. You should buy a share. All the money you're making these with Hutchie, etc. A few of your listeners, I think, sending text messages in are fan of, fans of Tiako Racing. So <laughs> 5% for you, mate. 10%. She's not the price he pays. Point one percent, mate. Every time I talk to him, he tries to get me into horse. Hey, Gareth, go well. Good, Good on to you, have mate. You Thanks New for having me. Appreciate it. She's Gareth Hawley, a wonderful host on ESPN Track. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back in. We're approaching news, sport, and weather. Um, still to come, we've got the great man from Tiako, David Allison, uh, about twenty-ish past two. Um, we're hoping to talk to. Billy Fraser, our motorsport guy, but he might be, would he be flying in this weather from Palmerston North to Auckland? I'm not sure. I'm just not getting a response from him, so uh, we'll make something up as we go along. Um, Before the news, though, I just wanted to touch on the sevens as Michael Holdsworth has texted in saying his thoughts to Auckland. How about those Blackfern sevens and All Black sevens men's win? Phenomenal performance with New Zealand, 38-0 over South Africa in the front. I didn't see that coming. I did not see that result. I saw them making the final when I saw we had South Africa. Oh, 38-0. South Africa were brilliant in the Sydney Sevens. And the women's, I probably saw this one coming more than the men's. Um, 35-0 in their final against the French, who I think made their second final of all time. Um, Georgia Miller just keeps it really impressing me. She won player of the final. Anyone could have won player of the final, but Georgia Miller would have been my player of the tournament as well. Um, and I did this last week after the Hamilton Sevens. Points for the Blackfern Sevens, 213. Points against, 26. Think about that for a minute. Again, one, two, three, six games, four clean sheets. Their defence is phenomenal. You want to listen in defence, watch the Blackfern Sevens women. They are phenomenal. And it's, it's almost my favourite team sport to watch at the moment, is watching these, how they've got their experienced, their respected people on the world stage. And then you get... Uh, Risi Puri Lane, you get Georgia Miller, um, Jazz Felix Hotham, she's in her second or third year in the team, really taking a step up this season. I, I just I just love watching them play. So massive congratulations to the Sevens community. A 38-0 win over South Africa to the men. A 35-0 win by the men over France. Um, 
text line is open as always. Double eight, double three. Temper Bear Post text machine. Hit the Bear Post. Look at all those magnificent Temper products. Pillows, beds, zero gravity. NASA certified, my friend. Or 0800 150 is our number. Um, we will try and get Billy Fraser after this. Not 100% if we'll get him, but we'll chuck the lines open on 0800-150-811. Also going to be talking some Australian Open tennis later in the show. But let's take a break for news. We'll be back. Welcome back into the show. Just gone 2 o'clock. We're going straight out on the road somewhere in this horrific weather bomb that we're under. And he's just dropped out. Oh, we got a hold of Billy Fraser, who was racing at Manfield in the weekend uh, in the SENZ-sponsored uh, car. Um, and Dean just dropped out as well. Oh, my goodness. We're not having much luck here, are we? 0800-150-811 if you want to have a yell about anything in the sport across the weekend. Uh, Dino is ringing back, so let's chuck him on and um, we'll have a chat to him. Um, Billy Fraser, as I say, was at Manfield. Um, they are driving. He wants to have a chat, but they're just in a, what would you call it, coverage-challenged area. I think that's what you call it. I think that's what you call it. So uh, we'll keep on trying with him. Um, it's proving a very, very troublesome day, uh, technology-wise, for us. Um, looking out over my back... This fine, the finest lacy of spitting weather at the moment. Uh, no sign of that fully stopping, but um, we hope that in the fullness of time we're going to get some dryness and um, and get, let these emergency servers get things get things sorted. Um, I'm just wondering if our next call is on here, Captain K. He is there, Dean from Dunedin. Uh, thanks for your patience, Dean. All good. Seth just here. What? There's not a sign of rain down here in Dunedin. Well, you're lucky. Let's put it that way. You're lucky. Mate, I don't know. I mean, I don't want this channel, honestly, the sports channel, to turn into... I mean, I feel sorry for the people in Auckland too, but this stuff's been happening all over New Zealand. The councils have got to really look at themselves. And it's been... 30 years they've been negligent. So, but this is a sports channel, so we won't go there. The sevens... Honestly, mate, that was unreal. I've watched that for years. Mm. I've never, ever seen a woman's team play that way since I've been watching. Like, I sent a few texts to a few friends and said, man, this French team is brutal. I've never seen a woman's rugby team that brutal. The way they took it to Australia... And whoever they played, Ireland, I think, I'm not sure. But they just beat them up. And I said, this is going to be an unbelievable final with bullying brutalness up against just incredible fitness and desire and skill. And it, I couldn't for the life of me. I was really worried about Georgia. Like I said to Smithy earlier, like I, I feel like a Noah through Highland dancing. But... Um, yeah. And, and like my little brother, he, he was on the other side of the scrum for Harlequins there in Timaru. So he said the old man was tough. So it doesn't surprise me. But the way the French 
crashed in, I thought she won't take a backward step. This could be hard for an 18-year-old, you know. And the French just, they weren't there. They, I couldn't believe how they were so tough, so brutal, and yet in the final, what the hell? Like, they just got completely destroyed. New Zealand team was smiling and dancing before it started. They smiled and danced all the way through. That's Sarah Hewini, mate. Well, sorry about her name pronunciation, but what a goddess. Mm. Unbelievable. And then she ran 90 metres or whatever. She had to run for that try. She didn't mean, God, help me. We are so blessed in this country, and it's not its not a Māori, it's not a Tongan, it's not a Pākehā, it's a Kiwi thing that we are damn good at, and thankfully we can watch it, it doesn't cost too much money, and instead of worrying about all the stuff that we've got no control of, all these educated people that read the weather and they can't tell us what it's going to do, I pour concrete sometimes, Steph, I look out the window, and if I'm really worried about it, I ring Mary List from Fovo Weather and Bluff, She's got lives in her hands. She gets it right. But I don't know. The sport, though, blows me away. Absolutely blows me away. And the lad that got player of the day in the men, he's not a bad-looking rooster, but he had the stupidest haircut I've ever seen on a sportsman a couple of years back. And now, what? He just never stops. Like, he's the energizer battery. And yeah. tough. He's bandaged up like he's mummified and still can run 100 metres in 11 seconds and tackle everything that breathes. Yeah, the the, the, know, the, collect, the the collective nature of both of our sevens teams, the thing that really impresses me, and I feel like it's even more separated from 15s than it used to be. With you on that, mate. It's, it's total disrespect. I'm sorry, but that sevens team is going better than... Wait, it's going as good, sorry, not better. It's going as good back in the heydays of Rush and Lamu and Della Seymour... And those, the, the, the legends of the game, you know? Absolute mm. legends of seven that got us watching it in the first place. That Cerevi, was it Cerevi, the Fijian? Yep. Unbelievable. And then Ambien just came in and they had a crack at his, his mantle. And it's arguable, we'll argue to the days long who was better. And they were all sensational. But now that team, and we've got, and we've got a Scottish coach, you know? Yeah, Clark Lidl. I never thought we'd see that. And he's unbelievable. Like he is doing... Whatever he's doing, let's you know, give him a pat on the back for God's sake. Like they just he identifies talent. We're going back, you know, we're seeing the young Spencer, for example. This is what Sevens used to do, but we've always been disrespectful. Like honestly, I reckon I can name a, a team that have beat them up out of most Super Rugby teams, and in, and it's an Olympic sport, and they are unbelievable at it. But I still think you could get. I don't really want to say that, but I reckon I can get players that would destroy them out of our super, out of our All Black squad, for example. But who would know? Who would know? It's just the yeah. two different games. I get that, but I still believe that the physical presence of certain individuals in that All Black team would scare the living Christ out of every other person who would put on a seven shirt, and that <laughs> there says it all. Like the French were just intimidated by the stunningly good lookingness of our ladies team. Like the sad part about it, and this really worries me, is the genetics of that sevens team, it's not going to come back because so many of them back for the other side. Like that's a bit of a worry because the skill level is unbelievable. Like that girl Woodman, see the tackle man. Like men don't hit like that. 
that tackles you put in the fight. Absolutely. That's a rower ship cans tackle staff. I'm sorry to say it on the radio, but that's as good as it gets. And she got penalised or something. I couldn't believe that. But what? Yeah, I actually rewound to that moment because he said penalised for not rolling away. She smashed her, got up and ran straight back. So I thought that was... That was alarming, but um, yeah, I'm pleased you enjoyed it as much as I do, Dean. I, I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, we've got to push on, Dean. Uh, thanks so much for your call, buddy. Enjoy the beautiful weather in Dunedin. Yeah, I feel sorry for the, the Auckland crew, eh? But you know, it's everywhere, and the, it's the council's problem. Mm. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. There's Dean out of Dunedin. You're more than welcome to give us a yell. 0800. 150 11. Uh, Phil sent me in a text message, but I'm going to save it, Phil for our next guest and I, and I hope he arrives I do hope he arrives uh, I did tell him 2.20 2.20 that's what we're coming up to isn't it yep 2.20 so hopefully he will arrive at about uh, 2.20 that is uh, David Ellis from Tiako Racing we're up to lot 3.16 in book one which is an El Rocker Lovin Kisses Cult El Rocker hasn't opened the bidding yet I'm waiting for the very first bid and the TV will change and then a friend of mine's just turned up to say good day, and the great man Paul's just bought me a coffee. Our tech man's just bought me a coffee, so that's good. So that gets out of buying my friend a coffee as well. Sammy's made at home for those people that are asking. He's made at home, but it sounds like he's going to have to evacuate um, or hunker down. I'm not sure which it is. So Sam, if you're listening, you're probably not. You're probably packing bags and getting your dog food and your baby food. Uh, and going to your in-laws for the best part of a week, they reckon that that road's going to be out of commission. And I think it's more preventative than anything um, in Kaukop. Um A lot of rain, maybe not today, but uh, overnight and then again tomorrow morning. All right, oh, just one other thing I wanted to talk about before we take our break and then talk to um, David Ellis. Ryan Fox at the Dubai Desert Classic. I hadn't put the line through and winning, but I he, he went into a little bit of a free fall on the, I think it was the back nine of his second round. He had three bogeys when I was watching him. He shot six under yesterday, um, third round six under, so he sits at 10 under and he's 11th equal uh, with just a round to go and five off the lead, which is Rory McElroy. For a while yesterday, it looked like Rory McElroy and Patrick Reid were going to be first and second at the end of the third round. And you know what happens then? They play with each other. And that pairing on the last day would have been monumental if you regular listeners. Last week we were talking about this massive spat between Rory McIlroy and Patrick Reid and lawsuits and name calling and throwing golf tees. That would have been remarkable if those two appeared. But uh, but they're not. They're not. And I'm pretty sure I have got the leaderboard here for you, which has, as I say, Rory McIlroy at... Um, 15 under uh, Shinquin he's at 12 under so I can't see them catching Rory eh? uh, he's got a three shot lead uh, Bradbury at 12 under and then Patrick Reed is at 11 as is Perez and Norris oh there's actually a swag of them there's about uh, 1, 2, 3, 8, 5, 6 or 7 of them at 11 under and then our Ryan Fox is at 10 under um one of the best rounds of the day. I think only Rory had a better round than him yesterday. Rory seven under yesterday. Ryan Fox at six under yesterday. So he'll be teeing off. Tied for 11th, a five off the lead, but he's only two shots off second. And it'd be a massive plus for him. We will take a break now. Um, <laughs> Brian says, Dino, you're on fire today. And he's loving it. We'll take a break now. And when we return, we'll come back with David Ellis. He is the head of Tiako Racing. 
sake of everybody in the bank, act like you got some sense. Ain't gonna get up there and shake his ass. What we talking about? Don't get out there playing it, okay? That's what I do every night. That's all I know how to do, man. You know. I ain't flew all the way overseas in the middle seat for us to get over here and f up. Act like you got some sense. You might get a little bit of this here. Not money. Don't quite know what that was. Things are <laughs> things have turned to custard. Speaking of custard, I bought some baby food, like we were talking about last week. Um, we're on the hunt for David Ellis. We can't quite find him. When he just said, no problem, just just come and get me, I've got a funny feeling he might be in the auditorium because there's a lot that he might be interested in coming up. Let's let me scoot to my book. We're at lot 321 at the moment, which is a period in Kento. Mademoiselle, now we're at for 3.22. Westbury, Waikato. Oh, there's a Savabeel, which is next up. Not this lot, but the one after. He might be having a look. Oh, no, here he comes. David Ellis is striding out. It is an inimitable way. Come and sit with me here, David. We're on here. So you can just park yourself there. You can put these ones on, these headphones here. <laughs> this is live radio at its best. And we are joined live from Karaka with one of the most important men of Karaka. He's the head of Tiako, David Ellis. Welcome in. Thanks, Mark. What a day, eh? What, what a moment of the year for you, that this period of time is the, the race meeting and then the sales and the whole cycle starts again. Yeah, it's a really exciting time and it's great to have the Karaka sales here in Auckland. We've probably got 50 owners that have come out and we've just had lunch together and um, some of them have just joined Karen's uh, female filly syndicate. Oh, wonderful. And, um, yeah, the horses are selling really quickly, so it's all a, a big thrill to be part of it all. So you breed, you sell, you own, you race, you lease. You do the whole gambit, don't you? Yeah, we like to be part of it all, and uh, it's a great thrill to um, see Mark Walker doing so well, um, winning the Wellington Cup. That was the first for Tiakia, so that was a big thrill on Saturday, and uh, it was quite interesting um, the way he trained the horse. He did what we call interval training, okay. and he took the horse out and he galloped him over 1,200 metres, then he brought him in and gave him uh, about 15 jumps, and then he took him for a long walk himself, and then sent him back out and did another 1,200 metre gallop, and then put him over the, 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 the jumps again for 10 minutes. Wow. And uh, a lot of the trainers thought perhaps he's losing it. <laughs> but um, Lance O'Sullivan, he's so smart, he, he didn't. He backed the horse at 60 to 1. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> How really good, just on the trading side of things, um, with Mark Walker, I know he, he mentioned in an interview I saw after the wins and just said... He felt a lot of pressure coming back into Tiaka because of how amazingly Jamie Richards had done. You must be so proud of Mark. Oh, yeah. I'm proud of Mark and Jamie. Yeah. Uh, Jamie's doing really well in um, Hong Kong, and we enjoy each win that he has. And uh, we're also enjoying uh, the, the, the way Mark's running the whole show. We've got um, probably five young people in the stable that all make great trainers themselves. And we've got some of them here today. And uh, it's just a really great industry and a business to be part of. Thrilling at the moment. 
The Tangerine Army gets bandied around a lot, and it's a fun army. And, in fact, I've saved this text message that came to the show just before, David, and it says, Staffy, being a first-time small share owner in a Tiako filly has been a great experience for my partner and I. Even though we haven't been to the races yet, the updates, the videos, and emails have been amazing. Even though we only own a speck of it, the feeling of being included has been fantastic and I can't wait till we can actually get to the races. I fully recommend being involved in syndication. So how good's that? Oh, that's what makes it all so worthwhile. Mm. And, uh, yeah, we do send a video out and a voice message from Mark uh, every Monday on every horse and then we send out another message uh, for each horse that's trialling or racing and then... Mark goes to the races and he does a video of the horse after the race and a full report. So keeping the owners informed is a very important part of our business. Right, I want to ask you how you, you probably won't give me your trade secrets, but how much work goes in by you in preparation for sales days? Uh, Well, I'm in my office at four o'clock every morning on the farm. we look at every horse in the sale. Every horse. Every horse. Uh, as you can see in my catalogue here, oh there's not one, one horse that we haven't. And then we get, get a short list uh, of probably 150 horses, mm-hmm. and we go back and look at them a second time. Let's go and look at them in the flesh. Yes. Yep. Yep. And then we go back and narrow that down to about 100 horses, and we probably get 100 horses vetted, and... Um, then um, our team, Marcus Corbin, Joe Walls, Mark Walker and myself, we go and have a look at the final 100 for the third time. And then we put a price on them, as you can see here. Um, that bit of paper be worth a fair bit of money in the wrong hands. Yeah, so I, w- I won't <laughs> read these out, but that's a lot number and as high as you're prepared to go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. But on some horses, we do go a little bit further. Um I find it hard to turn a really, really nice horse down. <laughs> but, um, no, it's been a very successful week of selling. And, uh, well, I'm a farmer, so I love the rain. Uh, and uh, it's been great for the farm. And, uh, you know, a pretty exciting week, Mark. Mm. People that want to get involved in the industry, and I, I've been in and around the racing game and the sports game for a long, long time, as you know, Dave, and they always just say, I can't afford it. You can afford it, can't you? Because you can, you, can, you can have half a toenail or you can have a whole neck and head and rump the whole shebang. Every, you cater for everyone, right? Well, you can't, it's an industry you can't afford not to be involved in. Oh, there's a line. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, people can spend five, $6,000 and they tell me that it changed their life. I've got a horse called Wild Knight um, that somebody's got... Uh, just a very small share and two and a half percent, and uh, they he goes to the races with his partner, and it just says it's absolutely changed their life. Mm. So, um, and financially, uh, it's been very successful for them. Mm. Yeah, they've had a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I I see your massive syndicated groups of people. And it's like they're going to a 21st every fortnight when they go and watch their horse race. Um, your comms are up there with the best in the industry. Your video and your voice messages and your newsletters. 
Um, you and your wife are just so passionate about it. Your children, um, your in-laws. It's an all-encompassing thing, this radio, uh, this racing caper for Team Tiako, isn't it? Yep. It's, um, we're very passionate about it. Uh, it doesn't feel like work to us because it's our hobby too. Like if we weren't going to the, to the races to work, we'd be still going there to watch the races. So, um, yeah, we feel very blessed to do for a living what our hobby is. Mm, yeah, remarkable. So if people wanted to get in touch and just said, look, don't want to embarrass myself, but what's my entry level? Where, who's the, You've got amazing staff. Who's, who, do they just Google Tiako? They just get, go on to our website, tiakoracing.com, and um, then they can find their way around, look at the videos. There's... Um, a section of the, on yearlings, how to get involved. It sets it all out, or they can ring me direct, and my number's on our on our website. They're always welcome to ring me direct. Yep, and you've always been very, very approachable. Uh, the industry's indebted to um, your dedication, your input, and, and just how studious you are on it. And you've, you've got a lot of people involved, like Phil, who texted in the very first time, and you can't wait. And Phil, I know you're listening. Go and find David and say, I'm Phil, that texted you that day at Caraca, and I reckon David will buy you a whiskey or a beer, and he, he would love to see you. David, wonderful to chat to you. Um, I don't know when the next lot is. Uh, you can't be far away. You've got a decent list. We wish you well. Thanks for chatting to us. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Cheers. David Ellis there from NZ. being out here at Karaka. Uh, wonderful to talk to David Ellis of Tiako uh, Racing. Um, we just saw a horse go through. It was a full something to I wish I won. And who's going to tell me about that? Jesse Gow is going to tell me that from New Zealand Brothers. Jesse, you were very excited. I'm very excited. So, okay, so that's a half That's a half brother to okay. I wish I win. I wish I win is that great racehorse that um, won the $10 million Golden Eagle in uh, just la- late last year. So, um, wonderful horse, great story. Uh, it, it was a graduate, of, well, it was a, it was a horse from our wonderful Waikato stud, um, and he 
he um, never actually saw the sales ring because he had a wonky leg um, when he was a baby. Um, but Waikato sort of sent this beautiful um, half-brother to him, to our sales ring. And the very trainer that trained I Wish I Win has just bought him just now for oh, wow. $375,000. Peter Moody, the legend that always has a ciggy dangling from his mouth and yeah. a forex in the other hand. And he's just such a character. And he's a very, very good trainer. He's the trainer of Black Caviar. I don't know if you heard of that great man. Oh, that rings a yeah. <laughs> so, so it's pretty fun. It's a really, really cool story, and it's just literally played out in our amazing auditorium um, just, just, just before I jump, put the headphones on. You are busting with pride, being from New Zealand bloodstock, <laughs> with what is going on here. I, I, like, look at you. Um, I know. Pig in the proverbial. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's the attraction? Like we, we had, um, we had oh gosh, Gareth. Gareth Hall from SEN Track in Australia, and he's been talking to people from Australia, from Hong Kong. They, they all converge on here, and he said that internationally, New Zealand's recognised for punching above our weight in the breeding scene. Yes. The big, big hitters are here they today. Are. Mm. They're, they're huge. Yeah, mm. it's huge. And they all come. And, you know, um, Tom Magna from Coolmore, you know, Coolmore is just the behemoth in the thoroughbred breeding industry globally. And he commented to me just yesterday on camera, who's prepared to put it online, that, you know, the, the, the best horses come from here. The best horsemen are from New Zealand. We, we produce the best, strongest stock. And there's something about it, even if the pedigree isn't the same as what you might see around the world, there's something about the grass that we, we grow and the way we grow horses and the sun on their backs that just gives them an edge that other countries just can't achieve no matter how hard they try and so clearly I'm biased but the results on the racetrack uh, kind of speak for themselves really you know we, we do go extremely well particularly um, across those middle and longer distances not only that we produce really sound horses as well so we just have these these beautiful sound horses that get the close classic races those big races the sexy races that everyone wants to win you know you, you've got your best chance if you've got a good Kiwi horse running for you um, yeah it's just it's just we've got the ingredients here to, to make them great where's your passion come from I'm a farm girl. I'm a farm girl from the white ghetto. Uh, I went as a pony club kid. Um, my mum used to ride track work um, when, you know, she volunteered pretty much. Um, and, uh, and so I just, yeah, I landed, landed in a very comfortable place where I'm, uh, I'm, you know, it feels very natural. I would want to do this anyway. I just happened to get paid to do it. So, mm. so yeah. what's your main gig with New Zealand Bloodstock? Because you, you just have to service so many areas of the industry. What, what, what's your main role? My, my, my role is, mm. well, I used to be in the marketing team, but I've, I am actually much, much better utilised uh, when I'm free range. So behind a computer is not my, my forte. Um, and so I'm better out and about, you know, on the farms um, and at the, at the, at the, on the track, at the track. So, you know, there's two aspects to it. We're the agent, you see. So I'm making sure that our studs are giving us their best stock to mm. sell. And mm. I'm making sure we're bringing all the right buyers to buy that stock. So we're marrying up the two. And and so and I'm making sure that we're making the right noise to everyone about the fact that you know our horses have gone well. Horses that are sold from NZB have done these things, achieved this and that to bring them back for more. And then I say, to, you know, to the to the studs, look, we've got these guys coming. You know, make sure you serve up your very best stock. Give us your horses. We've got the buyers for you. And when those horses make it into those great stables, they have the very best shot at performing on the track. And the cycle continues. The pedigrees update. You get that black type. And so relations to those horses that have performed well sell for more money and and so it continues yeah so so you're in a big um share of communication share of um 
successes, making yeah. sure. So you're dealing with, I guess, mainstream media, racing-focused media, yeah. stud masters, mere owners, the whole shebang. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and just like connecting all the dots, really. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, well, um, Jesse Gower, New Zealand Plus. I'm very appreciative of you stopping by. It's um, a pleasure. You've been flat out all day. Yeah. Um, how much longer does the sale, does this this event go for? The entire event goes until Friday. Uh, but there are two books, you see. I'm not sure if you've been briefed yep. on the fact yep. that there's book one and there's book two. And the book one is typically is the cream of the crop. So these horses have been selected. They've looked at the good pedigrees, they've, they've, the, the prime pedigrees, and also what the horses actually look like in person. So often they'll look at the horse um, before they look at the pedigree so they're not biased by the blue blood. Mm. And, it's um, like they, a blood blind tasting at a right, cooking event. Right, it, yeah. it is. You're so right. And so they do that and um, and they select what they believe will be the most desirable horses overall. Um, and they go into book one, which is about 650 horses. And then book two is about 400 or so horses. And they're still, this year in particular, but always you can get absolute super horses from that book as well. But you might get a bit more value. Um, it's just, but you just, you know, it's not a perfect art, and you, there are some moments where, you know, there'll be something that sells for far, far more in book two than book one uh, because it's developed since we saw it, you know, months mm. ago. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting, it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing. So three days for book one, three days for book two, so six days of selling all up for just over a thousand horses. And you love seeing people here for the first time, right? Just wandering around, sniffing it all, and yeah. it, it's very cool. Oh, we blood them like we're just like right. <laughs> Want some food? Want some wine? <laughs> How good is this? You yeah. know, and I think it is like it, everyone says it's like a food and wine festival that you can buy a horse at. Mm. A lot of it feels like the polo, but with you know, sales involved. It's a very sort of unique environment. I think once you get a taste for it, it's quite a, a cool environment, and you crave it more. Um, I just remember as being a kid wanting to be here somehow any excuse you know could I work somehow here um, because you've got like it's quite heady like you know there's the anxiety there's the highs and the lows of the selling the patter of the auctioneer the smell of the horses the neighing the rearing you know like all of the things the barbecue smells it's just like a kind of assault on the senses and it's just it's cool oh, you refueled I needed a bit of a kickstart I got a <laughs> coffee and then I just got a dose of Jesse Gow, so I'm, I'm, I'm up and about again. Hey, listen, thanks for, thanks for chatting us. We'll let you go and do, you, do what you do best. Thanks for chatting. Thanks. Uh, there she is, Jesse Gower. Um, we'll take a break. Are we have what, Billy Fraser next. Thumbs up. Cares yet? Billy Fraser after the break. Welcome back into Afternoons Live from Karaka. Wonderful to catch up with the wonderful Jesse Gower, um, a more passionate person about the racing industry. You will not find... Uh, great crew at New Zealand Bloodstock. We just had confirmed we're going to talk to Stephen Marsh at about 3.20. But right now we're talking to Sports Car Billy, I'm calling him. And he's been at Manfield. Billy Fraser, we spoke to him last week. Welcome into the show, Sports Car Billy. Yeah, thanks for having me, Steffi. How's it going? All right, mate. I watched you yesterday. I was really disappointed for you in that second race yesterday. That little spin cost you. You, you had good speed. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was a shame, really. Uh, the flying session probably didn't go as well as I would have liked. So you know, starting tenth, uh, four tenths off the fastest, and yeah, had a, had an awesome start. Was up to seventh. Um, you know, fighting the guys in front, but it a little bit wrong. Ran into the side of my car, and yeah, yeah, his race was over. He spun me around, bit of damage, but you know, kept going. Unfortunately, there was no safety cars or or any brakes in the race, so. I think uh, we stayed on the lead lap, but, you know, coming home and, and, and laughed. So not not the ideal race, to be honest, not the ideal weekend. But, 
know, we, we learn to laugh and, yeah, next weekend's the one that matters. Yeah, you said when you were on the show um, last week, Billy, talking to Billy Fraser, of course, not sports car Billy, Billy Fraser, official, um, you said it was about um, familiarising yourself with this new setup. Very excited. You knew Manfield. You know Hampton Downs really, really well. Are you happy with the familiarisation exercise that you and your team put on down at Manfield? For, for sure, and you know, at, at the end of the day, we, we probably got all the bad luck out of the way. Uh, we showed a lot of good pace this um, this weekend in practice. Uh, obviously, no no points for practice, but yeah, got got familiar with the team. Got a great group of people um, with, with HML, and and yeah, I, I think we, we ticked off a lot of the boxes um, compared to the cars I've been racing in the states. You know, 175 horsepower in the states. You know, 310. In the in the Toyota FT60, so it's just a, a different kettle of fish. Um, you know, trying to find find the differences in the car. Um, at the end of the day, every every car takes a little bit different driving style. But by the end of the weekend, I was um, I, w- I was fairly comfortable um, that I was getting getting the hang of it. And yeah, that's uh, uh, at the end of the day, you know, we'll be starting next weekend when we finish this weekend. So I'm, I'm glad we um, you know, got the learning process out of the way and. Yeah, by, by the time the Grand Prix rolls around next weekend, we'll have a debrief before then. Um, I'll look at a bit more data, a bit more video. But, yeah, happy with the familiarisation of the track. Uh, came back to me quickly, quickly. Fitness was really good through the races. So, yeah, a few things to, to take away. But, um, yeah, in terms of preparation for, for next weekend, it's exactly what we needed. The thing that surprised me, Billy, was the amount of international young drivers that are over here for this series. Uh, the young woman from America saw a Brazilian driver. There's quite a few international races, which I guess um, sort of vindicates the importance of this series internationally, not just locally. Yeah, for, sh- for sure. You know, there's um, there's sixteen. There were sixteen cars this weekend, and I think five of them were Kiwis. So. You know the, the other other eleven, um, all international drivers coming from from various series. But your um, yeah, that's uh, that kind of just shows the the caliber of the field. You know, you've got Indy Next drivers, you know, F3 drivers, uh, drivers on their way up. You know, myself coming from the road to Indy. So yeah, it, it makes it um, you've got all these drivers that potentially have different skills from the from the cars they've driven previously. So yeah, in, in terms of um, recognition and and, and world class, um, you know. It's, it's sanctioned by the FIA, so the winner of the, the series gets uh, super license points, which uh, that that draws you closer to Formula One. So it's it's bringing some of the best junior drivers from around the world, which is which is fantastic, really. So what does Billy Fraser have to do between now and Hampton Downs? Well, um, I think you know for, for me, I've um, it, it's been quite good. Dad and I, we're we're driving the way back uh, with the you know the, the Jayco trailer on the back. Uh, we're we're in Taupo at the moment, so it's uh, it's been kind of good to, to have the the reflection time. You know, it's it's a long road trip, but plenty of time to sort of informally go over the weekend, break break different things down. So in terms of um, preparation for next weekend, I think the biggest preparations already already happened, but. Yeah, we've learned a lot with the car. Um, I've learned a lot with the driving, and yeah, it's just a just a matter of really picking up where we left off. We get another few practice sessions to, to get the eye in again. You know, for, for Hampton Downs um, this next weekend, I'll, I'll have uh, Chris Vanderdrift, uh, my teammate. So going from a one-car team to a two-car team will really make a difference. Uh, 
Chris is a, an ultra experienced driver, knows this car really well. So all of a sudden, rather than having one driver's inputs, you're having two. So we've um, we've done a lot of the preparation, and and for me now, you know, it's a matter of getting good sleep uh, and and kind of recovering off over the over the last weekend from the last weekend. Now um, I, I understand now, and I've heard from your team that. When I th- talked to you last week, I was officially going to be your co-driver at Hampton Downs. And I, and I understand I'm still part of your team, but my new role, which I'm not quite as excited as about, is I'm on the barbecue for your team. Um, can you confirm that yeah. and send out a press release? Yeah, we, we can confirm that. I, I think it's um, definitely worth a press release. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to be um, we're going to be up on the hill, hopefully, at, at Hampton Downs. We'll, we'll be doing a little bit of... Um, corporate hospitality and I, I i can trust you with my guests i think uh, i think you're um yeah yeah exactly what exactly what they need all right, Billy. Um, it's good to be part of your sponsorship family, mate. And um, I saw enough uh, improvement and speed in your car and your team's pretty focused and uh, sounding good. Even though if people just looked up the results, they go, oh, Billy will be disappointed in that, which you were, but you weren't, well, you were there to win. But the big focus is this weekend, New Zealand Grand Prix. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's um, I- I'm proud of the things that I could control over the weekend. You know, even though I, I probably wasn't starting the-, the positions I wanted to or deserved, I had I had fantastic starts, did some great overtakes. And, yeah, in the in the last race, you know, I- I'm pretty happy with the way I drove. You know, it was it was with a damaged car, half a lap back. But, you know, the, the consistency was there. Um, the-, the setup we built throughout the weekend, um, I think by-, by the last race, we were we were in a really good window. So, that's all stuff we can take into this weekend. And, yeah, super excited for the Grand Prix. Awesome, Billy. Um, rest up, and then uh, we crank in again. And uh, Team Billy Fraser, which I'm part of this weekend, New Zealand Open. Let's go, Billy. Awesome, awesome. Can't wait for it. Thanks, Daffy. Cheers, buddy. Uh, Billy Fraser there. Billy Fraser racing. He's got the big SCNZ logo on the side of his car. And it's funny when you just feel so much more invested when you're associated with a team like that, and I, 100%, I am going out to Hampton Downs and cooking the sausages. I 100% am. And watching that racing out of Manfield yesterday, Manfield, I was so invested in the race, and that's what it's like when you syndicate horses, when you just own half a hoof or a nostril, um, and you go and watch, say, I'm a part owner of that horse. They don't need to know you, you own um, you know, a tooth of the horse. It's so exciting. Last break before the news. We'll come back. Welcome back into Afternoons with Stavi. Brought to you by Gull, the great crew at Gull with the economical fuel. They'll fuel your mission all year round, Will Gull. All year round. Uh, Mark has texted him and said he's gone onto the Tiako website right now and he's looking at shares. There you go. Shot, brother. And a saddish one, I think, from Ken. Our great listener, Ken, out of Auckland City staff. I have lost so much. But I hope all you guys out there are okay. Ken. You're a regular man. You're an important man to the station, and um, you're a huge blues man. But we will put our allegiances of our rugby teams aside when we wish you all the very best, mate. Um, we are all thinking of you, and I know you were away uh, at a funeral in Christchurch, and you got recommendations for restaurants from us. And now you've come home to an absolute shocker in Auckland. So we wish you all the well, all the very best, Ken. Um, anything we can do, just yell out, buddy. Um, 
Yeah, thoughts are with you. Uh, we will take a break. On the other side of the news, we're going to catch up. Uh, we're going to talk some Australian Open. It's a wrap-up. It's a wrap-up uh, of the Australian Open, and we'll do that after the break. Gull, fueling your mission. Pop into your local for some good value fuel. Gull.nz. From lunch through to tea, this is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. talk about the Australian Open, uh, the atmosphere has gone through the roof here at Karaka, lot 344, um, and I'm just looking at the blood, I'm no breeding expert, New Zealand, but in its bloodlines, it's got Lonro, it's got Ifraj, it's got Octagonal, Zabil, um, Saddle as well, that doesn't mean anything to me, Rebecca, uh, so Tristram's in there, Imperial Belt, and it's just had half a million. This is the biggest one I've witnessed today, I don't know whether it is the biggest one, we are live from Karaka Sales which is the biggest week on the horse breeding um, calendar here in New Zealand. So it's just stuck at 500,000. It roared up quite... In fact, there's people taking photos of the TV screen that's showing that the bid is 500,000. So a lot of the international visitors. So maybe this is quite big. This is quite impressive. And there's uh, now a bit of a hush as they wait for another bid. Anyway, we've had a couple of weeks of fantastic tennis over there in Melbourne at the Tennis Centre, the Australian Open, the Novak Djokovic Open, I'd like to call it. Um, I wouldn't like to call it, but I'm sort of forced to call it. Joining us as he did last week, I loved our chat with Drew Lilly, who's over there at the Australian Open, or was the Australian Open, and probably decompressing now a little bit. Uh, welcome, and Drew, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Staffy. Nice to be with you again. Um, gosh, uh, somewhat of an Easy, is there such a thing as an easy Grand Slam for a tennis player like uh, Novak Djokovic? Yes and no. If you look at it on paper, you think, well, there we go. He's won it 10 times in a row. He's absolutely unbeatable. It's like putting Rafael Nadal on the clay in Paris. You think, well, it's him against the field. It's as simple as that. But I think that Djokovic really oh. did it tough this year. When you look at everything that happened last year, the fact that he got to Australia on a bit of a technicality when you needed to be double vaccinated to get in. Uh, and the fact that he was, he ended up being deported. Uh, I, I actually, so he practiced at one point. He, he got into Melbourne and was practicing on, I think it was Margaret Court Arena. And I happened to be there at the time. It was about three or four days before the tournament started. And he was in there and I thought, right, well, he's definitely going to play then. And then a couple of days later, he was escorted out of the country like something on the Border Force TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's carried that with him for the entire year. The fact that he couldn't play in the US Open as well because he wasn't vaccinated. And he's really had a chip on his shoulder, but in a good way. And he's used that and the fact that he had the hamstring injury a little bit as well. And then just with a couple of days to go, his father ends up being caught on camera 
as anyone who does anything who's got any kind of profile nowadays, you end up getting caught on camera or on video. And there he is with pro-Russian supporters behind a flag with Putin's face on it, maybe saying, long live the Russians, maybe not, who knows. But he has all that to deal with as well. So if you look at it in the history books in years to come, you're just going to think, well, he cruised through, he only dropped one set. He's almost unbeatable when you get to the Australian Open. But when you actually consider everything he went through, he's been through for the last 52 weeks, and then for the past two weeks here, just getting into the country and the whole Ferrari that was surrounding that, uh, and then managing to channel all of this frustration. You saw it at the end of the tournament where he broke down in tears when he was with his box, clambered back down, got onto his bench, stuck his head in a towel, burst into tears again. There was a heck of a lot of emotion there that all came pouring out at about 10.30 last night. Is it a testament to his mental strength? A few of the things you, you, you mentioned there, um, like the vaccination and the, and the chip on his shoulder, the treatment of his father, and then the hamstring injury. An incredible last 12 months off the court. To be able to park all that in the players' tunnel before you take the hard court and then do do your business with your tools of trade. I think that's a big tick for Novak. It certainly is. And it's one of the main attributes of any tennis player because you lose so many points. You lose so many games. You know, if you win a set 6-4, then you've lost four games. And four times the chair umpire has said, game the name of your opponent and you just have to put those behind you it's not like other matches where you, other sports where you you can you can win with, with a clean sheet you know you you're permanently having to take little defeats on board be it points be it games be it sets so that's something that the best tennis players have and you can have tennis players that are technically brilliant and have so much power, but mentally, if they haven't got it, then they're just not going to get to the top of their sports. And we've seen that with lots of people. And you look at Nick Kyrgios, he can maybe channel it for a couple of weeks, but then you always think something's going to happen here and it's going to knock him completely out of whack. And that's the last we're going to see of him for a week, a month, a year, maybe a career. Whereas with Djokovic, he seems to have absolutely honed that over the past decade and a half. He was a little bit fragile mentally earlier in his career, and we are talking a decade and a half ago. And he was also a little bit fragile physically. And he would it was a combination of the two. He would start picking up a little bit of a backache in the third set when he was two sets down, and he got a reputation for pulling out of matches and other players didn't particularly like him for it and it was half physical half mental and he's physically now well if, if you look at the fact that he had this hamstring injury his coach Goran Ivanisevic the 2001 Wimbledon champion said that 97% of other players would have just pulled out of the tournament with that kind of injury they wouldn't have bothered turning up but Djokovic uh, much along the lines of Nadal the time last year who was having injections on his foot purely to be able to play and couldn't feel his foot while he was playing, but just trusted it to move around. It's 
it's half physical, but it's incredibly mental as well, and it's something that Djokovic has in absolute spades. Women's side of the draw, Sabalenka, Rubikina. Um, one of them had dropped one set all tournament going into the final. The other one hadn't dropped one. And I said to you last week, it's very rare in the women's game to have so many straight sets victory. It was always going to be a three-setter, incredibly even match. I was thoroughly entertained. It was probably the match of the tournament, wasn't it? And you, mm. you get to the final weekend and you think, I really hope we have at least one final that lives, lives up to its billing. And the djokovic Tsitsipas final probably wasn't it. It ended up being straight sets. There was one breaker service for Tsitsipas. Uh, but even when it got to the tiebreakers, you think Novak knows what he's doing here. He's going to put it on Tsitsipas's backhand all the time. And Tsitsipas doesn't seem to have an answer. He's taking too much on his backhand. You look at the women's game the night before, and it was absolutely brilliant and thrilling all the way through. And Arena Sabalenka, who was in her first Grand Slam final, and had, if you compare her with last year, when throughout the season she hit 440 double faults, she was mm. the self styled queen of double faults. And Mentally, as we've been talking about today and also last week, Staffy, she just wasn't there. And she ended up working with a psychologist as well as a biomechanic expert to get her service right. Also worked with Mark Philippoussis, who has one of the best services uh, of this century, probably. And she put it all together and then recently said to her psychologist, OK, I'm not going to come and see you anymore because... Asking you questions and getting answers from you, it's all well and good. I need to go out and do it on a tennis court seven times every other day in a Grand Slam and do it for myself. And you can have a little bit of on-court coaching nowadays, but you still need to do it yourself. You can't have it. It's not like going to your local tennis club, getting the club pro out, um, stopping halfway through a point or a service, saying, what am I doing wrong? And he or she comes out and points it out to you. You can't do that at this level. And she needed to solve these questions herself, Sabalenka. And she did. And it was an utterly thrilling final. She got a little bit nervous towards the end. There was a double fault on a first match point. But put that behind her. She then started uh, adjusting a service a little bit, going to Rybakina's backhand. It, it really did seem as if she's figured out so much and then you had Rybakina on the other side who is almost the opposite you'd never see any emotion from her when she won Wimbledon there was a little bit of a fist pump and you think well maybe she's just won a, a club match and that's it no she's actually won Wimbledon but she keeps it all under wraps and the sheer power and accuracy of the hitting from the two of them was absolutely wonderful and it really bodes well for the future because these two early to mid-twenties if they keep going, plus Igor Sviatek, plus others to come, maybe Ashbarty will come back at some point and think, oh, I'm missing out here. It's absolutely, it, it speaks to a great future for women's tennis. It really does. And I actually took the time to do a little bit of um, <clears throat> background check because I like to know a little bit more about the athlete when they're performing on the biggest stage. And Rebecca's backstory is fascinating how she changed allegiance from Russia to Kazakhstan, I think it was. 
And that's um, right. Just that's right. Fit, yeah. She only trained tennis as a youngster for two hours a day. The rest of the time, she was fitness. She was fitness, 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 and she only chose tennis because she was too tall for gymnastics and something else. It's, a, it's hers is an amazing story. Ice skating. It was ice skating. Ah. Yes, exactly. Yes, and she is six foot tall, and she's a genuine six footer. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of us <laughs> sort of say, "Oh, yeah, I'm I'm six foot, and it's five foot ten and a half on a good day if you're wearing a cap." But she actually is six foot tall, and she was far too big to be a, far too tall to be a gymnast, and also for ice skating. And I think a lot of it is, is also the fact that you, you need to be a reasonably well-rounded person. And if you've just been brought up on tennis, uh, then uh, well, it's like the the cricket journalist from the Caribbean, uh, C.L. James, said, "What know they of cricket that only cricket know?" You need perspective you need to be able to see what's going on in the rest of the world and know that tennis it's not the be all and end all and that helps you to to focus if you know that there are other things and and then you look at the likes of Andre Agassi who if you're to believe his autobiography hated virtually every point of tennis that he ever played because his father got him out there at the age of four or five and was just hitting against him for hours and hours and hours and hours. Uh, and it's no wonder that he and Steffi Graf ended up together because they had similar fathers who just pushed them right from an incredibly early age. So when you've played other sports, then you get a bit more of a perspective on things. You get uh, a perspective on what it's like to play in a team or to to do you have different needs different stretching exercises you do uh, you build up different muscles you approach things in a different way mentally as well so i think it's it's great for someone to play a lot of sports and then focus on one as she has done and she also had the change in nationality that was about five years ago now and that's turned out to be an absolutely wonderful move for her uh it's it's something that she's had to avoid talking about you you could never have predicted that a couple of years ago or even barely even this time last year but the fact that we had two belarusians one russian-born um Kazakhstani playing in the the semi-finals then uh quite ironic at the moment but it's great for her that uh, there was less of a focus on that. Uh, she wasn't playing under the Russian flag or no flag at all, which is what we've had for the Russian and Belarusian players here. And she didn't have to answer too many questions about that. They could just go out and have what was an absolutely wonderful final and people not really focusing on the politics, thank goodness. Mm. Hey, Drew, um, I could talk to you all day. Um, I really appreciate you coming and chatting to the people across New Zealand you, you've covered it so well for us uh, appreciate your time and love to catch up with you again sometime absolutely anytime Staffy and talking about the people across New Zealand then all all my best wishes to everyone at the moment who's doing it tough uh, we had terrible flooding here in on the east coast of Australia where I live last year so we've got a little bit of an idea of what people are going through but we know you're really doing it tough at the moment, so all my very best wishes to all of your listeners. And on behalf of all them, we really appreciate your sentiments, Drew. Thanks so much, buddy. My pleasure. Anytime, Staffy.
Cheers, mate. Drew Lilly, just a wonderful journalist in general. Give him a follow on social media. He covers so many things. Uh, we will take a break on the other side. All going well. Jesse Gow is organised. Stephen Marsh, one of the best trainers in the country. He'll join us after this break. We are very privileged to be in the presence of one of the great trainers of New Zealand. Doesn't live too far away. And I always feel a touch guilty about pulling them away from the auditorium. But Stephen Marsh has been very kind to come and join us. Stephen, I'd imagine this time of year is part enjoyable, part stressful for someone like you. Oh, absolutely. It's um, yeah, a lot of work involved, um, but it's an exciting time too. You know, we're sort of reloading the, the stable with young horses and um, hopefully one of those horses might be the next champion. But yeah, it's, it is exciting, but uh, very busy. Do you come here with a preset plan, a preset budget, or it's like I want to spend this much or I want to get this many horses or I've got owners for this many horses? How do you, what's your game plan coming into a week like this? Yeah, it's sort of game plans, you know, you don't want to go over the top and, um, and sink yourself. But, uh, look, we don't have a lot of sort of pre-sold horses, owners. Um, we know owners are keen. We know people are keen to join the stable. We buy them on spec, um, and then people come to us, and we go out to them to, to sell the shares. And, you know, shares are selling well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've, uh, I think we've spent nearly a million and a half now, um, and hopefully we're, we've got a fair bit more to spend. But we've got some nice horses. We've bought five, um, and there's plenty, plenty more nice ones to bid on. So do you have a core group of owners, and you know, look, he's good for this much or that husband, wife or that group of workmates, that they're sort of good for that. And so you can bid saying, well, I'm pretty sure I've got 70% ownership in that one already. How does that work? Yeah, you've sort of got your key owners that you know are good for like, you know, someone will ring you, hey, I'm good for a sort of shares in three fillies, I'm good for shares in two colts and a filly. You sort of know, but then you don't really know until you bought the horse and they like to have a look at the pedigree. And, and they go, actually. And, and then, yeah, and then they get, Sometimes you get the old, oh, yeah, I'm not really that keen on that horse. And um, and then they go into another one. But you know you've got some sort of good backing from some great owners. Um, and it's great. New people coming into the game. I mean, it's a fun game. You know, we've just had the crack a million. Um, it's a terrific sport to be in. And, you know, and more people are getting in. So, yeah, it's it's great. We've had some really good uh, support um, and, and great support from, you know, our, our owners that have been with us for a fair while. What's the jousting like in the auditorium? The Sir Patrick Hogan auditorium is, is um, pretty happy about. The, like, you'll get people like you and David Allison. Um, there's a whole lot of you. Is, yeah. that, is that exciting? Yeah, it is exciting. I mean, we go in there and, you know, you, no one wants to get beat on a horse that they really like. You know, I go and I love a horse. I think it's about 100 to 150. And you got a bit of competition. You look across and you see one of your fellow trainers bidding on it and no one wants to get beat that's hey whether it's racing rugby tennis whatever you were doing you know no one wants to get beat at anything but you can't go over the top you may, we put a value on a horse we're happy to go a little bit more but um oh yeah there's a hell of a competition in there there's uh there's sort of no love boss with anyone in there that's for sure and to sometimes like you go in and you know i watch these auctioneers and they go who's got 150 120 180 60 okay 40 and boom 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 boom, boom. and then and then it starts to build back up and when you see someone um, like a big hitter or you see they've bid on a horse you like, do you think, oh, bugger, yeah. they like it too? Well, it's deflating. You know, if you've, if you've sort of been waiting for a horse, you haven't you haven't had one to bid on for about 50 or 60 lots. It's a couple of hours and you're sort of geeing yourself up. You're going to have another look at it. 
you sort of got a few owners there keen on it, uh, and then you just get blown out of the water. There's nothing more deflating. You know, you you might value it up at 150, um, and then it sells for 300. Well, we put a value on, and we think they're worth that. We're not going to sort of pay double, but there's some people that, <laughs> I guess, doesn't uh, money doesn't matter too much. But um, yeah, it, it's bloody deflating, I must say. I'm just looking at uh, book one, about 650 lots. How many of the 650 on the pages that I'm looking at do you look at? If you went through the book here, we've, we've looked at every single horse. Um, all the horses around the Waikato and the Auckland region we've looked at uh, on the farms prior to the sale. We try and do it, we try and do it sort of after Christmas, um, so it's as close to the sale as we can, so they're sort of as, as well grown as we can find them. I think if you look at them too early, especially at the sort of the, the late winter, early spring we've had, it's been pretty tough. So we look at all them, and then the horses from the South Island uh, Central Districts, we look at them on on the uh, property. And basically from a week out from the sales, we do all our second look. So we've looked at that 600-odd horses. We've broken that down to anywhere between 100 to 180. Look at them again, wipe that list down to about sort of 70. Then often look at them again. Then we get them vetted. So there's often, you know, problems with the vetting. This one's got this amount of problems, little chip here, da da da. Then we're probably down to realistically about 40 to 50 horses that we're going to bid on to try and buy. And and that then it, then it comes down to putting your price on them, what we're prepared to go to, and having a crack in the ring. Some you get for unders, some you just get blown out of the water, but, um, you know, you've got to stick to your guns. And, hey, I think we've bought some really nice horses. I mean, we've bought... A Super Seth uh, Colt Half to Mwanga champion horse for 380,000, and we, we were expecting to go over half a million. So that was that was unders, and uh, we've been blown out of the water on a couple as well. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if you, you know, where are your biggest swings, or um, and not in a critical way, the valuation you put on a horse, how wrong have you got what, what you expected the market to be and what it actually was? Well, sometimes you'll put 200,000 on a horse and you think, right, that's good, so we'll go to 200, but we might go to 250. If you've got two really big players that are also keen on that horse with bigger checkbooks, they can just go mad and go for double that. Mm. Um, you know, two big bulls in the ring, they don't want to They don't want to get beat. So, But then often, like, you know, as I say, the, the half to one on lot 91, we thought we'd have to pay a hell of a lot for. Um, had a few owners sort of G'd up to, to go around that amount and bought it for 380 and Everyone's smiling. Does ego get in the way of practicality sometimes in that ring? I think it does with some people for sure. I mean, hey, we don't like to get beat, but I hate paying overs for a horse. Um, <laughs> I'd be lying if I didn't say I've every now and again maybe gone one too many bids just for a horse I love that I just would not let go. Um, but I don't go over the top, you know. There's a value... If you're paying double what they're worth, there's just no uh, reward on them. So I, I, I try and keep a, a hell of a lid on it. Right, you're one of the leading syndicators as well. Um, we've spoken to a number of um, trainers and owners and, and marketers, etc. Marsh Racing, Stephen Marsh Racing, how can we find you, the people out there that might never have been involved and want to take that first little dip of the toe into the racing industry, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Look, you can go onto our website, just Marsh Racing, um, and you can have a look. Every every night we um, update that with the yearlings uh, that are that are for sale, what shares are in them, sort of the costs. 
or ring me directly on the mobile or email me. It's e uh, easy to get hold of, 27 or just uh, send me an email, marshracing at extra.co.nz, and we'll get back to you. Um, but, yeah, questions. I mean, there's always going to be questions and, and whatnot. Just, just give us a bell or send me an email, and, and we'll be in touch. And here's the thing. The very first horse I got into, people, they said it was um, $2,000 a year and X dollars per month for training fees. We took, I took one share, but 10 of us shared it. So, we not, so instead of a 10% share, we all had a 1% share, but in the box it was just about, and it was fantastic. So even if you go on there and it says it's five grand to buy in and 500 or month something, take five people in with you into a 1,000 each. That sort of thing works, doesn't it, Marshall? Yeah, look, we had some young guys come in um, to a Rubik cult last year, really good team of guys, and, you know, they all sort of got 10 guys in, took 1% each, but they, they did it as one little syndicate. And it's a hell of a fun. I mean, it's it's not a lot of money. You get with your mates, you go to the races. It's all about having a beer, having a bit of enjoyment. And, hey, if your horse, hey, there's no feeling like it, well, you'd know. If your yeah. horse hits the front at the 100, I've <laughs> seen I've seen uh, normal people go mad. Um, it's just no feeling like it. It's, it's an awesome game to be in. Stephen Marsh, thanks for your time today. I'll let you go back. How, how long until the next one? And you don't tell me the lot number because we're not going to give away your trade secrets. How far? You reckon about half an hour you might be... Um polishing the hand up? About an hour, we're going to have another crack, and then uh, tomorrow we're going to have a big go. Alright, Stephen Marsh, Marsh Racing, go and sort him out. Go onto the website, and all the ones he's already got, he'll put up there and just see how affordable it is. New sport and weather. Oh, hey, we're going to play the vault after this. 0800 150 Give us a call if you want to play the vault. How much are we up to, Captain K? We're up to uh, 150 today. 150. Give us a call. 0800 150 Back after the news. back and thank you to Stephen Marsh. I actually just had a bit of a bit of a chat to him um, and he said any size parcel if anyone wants to have a crack at um, horse ownership. So we've had David Ellis, we had Stephen Marsh, uh, tremendous blokes they are actually. Um, guys, oops. Um, what does this say? Uh, I can't read that. I says don't read it on here. Alright, um, and from Ken said he never made the airport. Or the funeral. They got stuck on the motorway. My daughters were stuck at the airport when it closed. Ken, uh, sympathies, my man, sympathies. Um, I've lost uh, connection to um, our studio, so I can't see them. Uh, and I've lost connection to phone calls. So, Captain K, you're just going to have to come on here. Um, 
Are we set to go? Look, Steffi, we've oh, had a few... camera's just come on. There we what go. Do? We've had a few technical difficulties as well, but uh, I think if you're ready, we're ready. Play the music. Ten questions. One answer. Can you crack the vault? I think we're on day two, are we, that's, Captain Kate? That's not quite right there, Steffi. Uh, another technical difficulty, except this time I was the technical uh, <laughs> in that difficulty there. But uh, look, Steph, I've spun the magic wheel, as Sammy Hewitt would. A uh, bit of pressure being in his hot seat, but uh, our thoughts are with Sammy Hewitt right now. And uh, it looks like the lucky number's landed on Zaid. Zaid, hello. Oh, the life member. Hi, guys. Zaid. Back in the... Uh, hello? Yeah, you're back in <laughs> Auckland. Yeah, back in the city, back in the wet city of sales. Oh boy! <laughs> Did you listen to the vault on Friday? Um, I think I might. Have. I think, I think one of the questions asked was the individual sport. I think was one of them. But yes, yeah, that was one of them. So you get five questions today, Zaid, and I can ask one of them if you want. Okay. Um, can I ask the first one? Because I'm pretty sure it wasn't a ball sport. Um, is it? Is it a fighting sport? Like boxing or mixed martial arts? Say it as soon as we got you there. Is it a combat sport? Well, I guess we'll say, shall we? Is that your question? Is it a combat sport... Captain K. I knew that was coming, Zaid. Unfortunately, no. It is not a combat sport. Okay. Right. Um, Number two. Pass one to Staffy, please. Oh. Okay. Does this involve... You're right, Zaid. It was an individual sport. Is this... Sporting moment that's locked in the vault is this a male sporting moment? Good boy for saying sporting moment, Steph. It is indeed a male sporting moment. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Now you've got three more, Zaid. Is it an Olympic sport? Is it an Olympic? Good question, because it's either yes or no. It is no. The answer is, is no, it is not an Olympic sport, Zaid. Okay. Two to go, Zaid. Uh, did it involve a New Zealand athlete? Good question. No Kiwis were involved in this moment, Zaid. No. Wow. Okay. This is still good. Even though it's no, it's helpful. Question, your fifth and final question, and then you're going to have to have a, have a wild stab. Okay, does it involve, oh wait, is it swimming? Jeez, jump the gun. It's no, but I like it though. It's worthwhile. I like it though, because asking swimming eliminates it. It is not swimming. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It eliminates it. Okay, so now you have to have a guess, Zay. I mean, you're one chance in a million, but you've progressed us with your um, wisdom. What's your one and only guess? Um, I don't even know if, it, if this is a sport, but I don't know. Usain Bolt winning um, 100 metres world camps or something. I like that as a guess. I like that. It is a sport, and it is a sporting moment. Should we chuck it in the vault? Steffi, I don't even know what's in the vault at this point, because Sammy Hewitt, he's, uh, he's left us with all the buttons. Here we go. Let's punch it in and see if it can unlock Sammy's vault. I don't think it will, but... Good luck, Zade. Good luck, Zade. Oh. Unlucky, Zade. Never mind, Zade, but you've, you've made but inroads. Tr- but and tricky. You... Yeah, it was tricky. Welcome back, buddy. 
Thank you. All good. Cheers, mate. Life member Zaid there. Um, combat sport, no. Male sport, male sporting moment, yes. And then tuna. It's not Olympic. It's not a New Zealand athlete involved, and it's not swimming. Uh, Look, are, we, are we closer? I, I think we're I, a bit closer. I always feel bad saying no so often, but in the long run, that, that actually gets you through, doesn't it? Because they'd eliminated quite a lot there, so I think we, we, we're definitely creeping closer, Steph. That's all I'll say. You know Sammy gets upset when we give away clues. <laughs> no, well, I can't give clues because I don't know what it is, so I'm rendered useless when it comes to that. Um, I am actually... I still don't know, actually. And I'll give people a, a hand because we found out. Did we find out? It's not a ball sport. Yeah, we found that out on Friday. So that's why I quite liked the swimming question and I quite liked the Usain Bolt sprinting question as well. All right. Um, what does that mean we're up to? 100, 150, 200 for the vault tomorrow. Get your thinking caps on. I actually can't help you anymore um, because I, you only get three questions tomorrow. So go back and listen to all the ones from Friday, all the ones for today. It's all on the SENZ app and see if we can't crack it tomorrow. Uh, we'll take a break and after that, I think we're going to have a look back in the day. Here's what happened back in the day. Uh, now, just before I go back in the day, two things uh, that you might be interested in, Captain K. Thank you for uh, driving hurriedly back from Karaka back to the studios. Um, actually, one thing, um, just to give people an update on Sammy Hewitt, um, he sent us a message and he said, uh, I'm just trying to find it, here it is. So Sammy Hewitt's fine, uh, the road by his house has slipped away, all the roads are all flooded and closed. He managed to get across just in time, picked up his wife, his baby and his dog and gone to Katie's parents. If we hadn't made it across, I would have been stuck at home at week, uh, for a week with no access, but um, he's back on deck. He's back on deck, so that's great news. There's a little girl sitting just opposite me in the cafeteria here eating tomato sauce straight out of the sachet. It's kind of weird. Um, and the last thing, Kieran. Yes? I've just, scored, I've just scored a ticket to Jimmy Carr tonight. Wow. So you make me drive all the way back here. I'm upset because I can't be at the sales, and now you tell me, you, nah, you've ruined my day, Steph. See, it was going to be a measure of the kind of man you are, whether you'd be happy for me or disappointed for yourself. Of course I'm stoked for me, but that was our team planning. But we never actually did it, do we? Instead, we of, instead of dwelling on today, let's look back at the day, Steph. Well, I'm trying to. I'm just trying to find the back in the day. Here it is. Okay, so Jimmy Carter, right, this is going to be fun. I'll report back tomorrow. So back in the day, this day, January 27, 1993, uh, West Indian fast bowler Kirtley Ambrose, he took, remember him? Fearsome. Seven for 25 against Australia in the fifth test at the Wacker in Perth, he took seven for one and 32 balls as they went from 85 for two to 119 all out. Uh, the curator was sacked for preparing a tourist-friendly wicket. Come to New Zealand. Come to New Zealand. 2012, there was a record, and it happened between Novak Djokovic and Rafa Nadal. When they write the story of the great tennis matches ever played, this one has got to be right up the front of the book. Five hours and 53 minutes. Novak Djokovic is the champion in Melbourne for the third time. That was simply extraordinary. Yep, seven minutes shy of six hours with Novak 
wearing down Rafa Nadal. 5764 6275. Incredible scenes. Birthdays today. Uh, born on this day in 1981, former warrior in Kiwi, and played rugby. At centre for England, Shantane Harpy. Happy birthday. Uh, Dimitar Berbatov, a, Bulgar- a Bulgarian football striking legend. It is his birthday and a funny man and the most scoring player in the Premier League with headers, Peter Crouch. Alonso holding in midfield. Beautiful ball to the right flank. Fennett, first time cross. It's a great one. Crouch! Yeah! What a goal! What a goal! 3-0 Liverpool! The man of the moment, Peter Crouch, <laughs> strikes again. Peter Crouch, oh, I, there's a chant they used to do for him back in the day that uh, my good mate, who's a Man City uh, fan, sung to me one day at work. He sung it once, probably 15 years ago, and I've never forgotten it. Never forgotten it, Captain K. You going to do it? He's big. He's still and he scores with his head. His feet fall out of the bed. It's Peter Crouch. What's your <laughs> Peter one? Peter Crouch, disco pants are the best. They go from his ass to his chest. They're better than Adam and the ants. Peter Crouch, disco pants. That's my Peter Crouch. <laughs> your one's a lot better than mine. I've got to up my game. <laughs> On this day in 1983, what's today? January 27th. The number one movie was Tootsie, I think featuring Dustin Hoffman. I think featuring Dustin Hoffman. And the number one song everyone can sing along. We all know it. I left it on to the chorus so you could sing along, New Zealand. Uh, we'll take our last break. We're up to lot 3- 366 out here at Karaka, but we'll be back to wrap it all up after this.